0: Hello a chhoeso i Academy yr Academi Genedlaethol ar gyfer Ararwynyddiaeth addysgol yng Nghymru. Podlediad sy’n ranannu materion ac arferion arwenyddiaeth allweddol ar draws y sector addysg ym Hemri Nghymru ac yn Rhymwladol. Hello and welcome to the podcast from the National Academy for Educational Leadership in Wales. A podcast that shares key leadership issues and practices across the education sector here in Wales and internationally.
1: Hello, everybody. Um, I'm delighted to be here today, uh, back with Dr. Paul Thomas, following up from our Leadership and Lock series back in November. Paul entertained us, I think, as much provoked our thinking back in November with um, some of his thinking. Um, And we're back in the room today. Uh, Myself, Janet Hayward, as an associate member of the Leadership Academy, along with Tanya Rickard and Gavin Gibbs. Um, Could you just introduce yourselves, please, first of all? Yeah, my
2: name's Tanya Rickard, and I'm a head teacher in Colwyn Bay, and also an associate with
3: Academy. I am Gavin Gibbs. I'm from Torvine Youth Service. I'm an associate with cohort four, representing the youth work sector.
1: Thank you both, and and I am head teacher in Barrie in. Um, in South Wales of uh, Caddickston Primary School and Oakfield Primary School. But, um, Paul, over to you. If you could give it a little tiny introduction of, of uh. you and your work. And, and te- tell, us, tell us about tell us about the
4: flea, Paul. Yeah, we could be here all day if I, do it. <laughs> I talk about myself. Um, uh, yeah, I'm Dr Paul Thomas. Um, my background is in complex systems, uh, complexity theory application in terms of leadership and organisations. Worked in all sorts of organisations from uh, frontline bin men to uh, NHS to special forces. Um, and the idea really is to kind of move away from this idea of traditional top-down management and move it into the kind of modern-day human way of thinking. Um, the flea, the flea was a—it's uh, a funny little video that I, I kind of and uh, concept because I was looking to give a talk to um, vets in, the, in a conference in London. Um, and I was looking at, for examples that could demonstrate to them how they need to change and what they were doing to their people in the organisation. So I, I looked at fleas and how you train fleas. And First of all, I thought it would be a bit of a joke, uh, but the way you train fleas, just to condition them. And, and the jar it was, was, was this kind of concept where you put the fleas in a jar, you put the lid on the, on the jar, and after three days, if you took the lid off, what happens the fleas never jumped higher than the lid they'd actually conditioned them to say that's, that's as far as we go. That I then moved into the kind of concept of a of an organization and say, well, who are the lid? What, what's the lid in terms of you, uh, your organizations, your leadership, your management? Um, and, and very quickly people start to realize that the lid itself is them. It's the way they think. It's their construct. It's, it's what they've been taught in terms of management. Uh, and it, they only know that one way of doing it. And of course, my job and our job, I think, is to kind of say, well, actually, there are many other ways of doing it. And actually, the lid needs to be removed and people need to jump as high as they possibly can. But one of the kind of concepts as well that, that I quite like about the, the, that little video um, is the jar, because it's clear. You can see the fleas, of course, but the fleas can see outside. And, and, and I keep saying that's what an organisation is. Whatever you're in, whether it's a, a school, um, you know, a youth club or a, or a kind of um, local authority, that jar is 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 the social construct of, of an organisation because it doesn't really exist. You know, the, the, the your, your school only exists because of people that come together. It's not the building, uh, it's not the resources, it's the people that make the concept. And I think that's a lovely thing to to, to kind of retain as well in that side of it. So that's that's the fleet. Great discussions as a result of it. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're, what do we do? How do we release them? And all the stuff of thing. But, but that but that really is the idea of it.
1: Thank you, Paul. Um, Tanya, can I come to you for, first of all? What, what, did, what did you think about, about the flea and what, what questions did it lead you on to?
2: Yeah, I thought a lot about the fleas, actually. And I thought, you know, we are all in that metaphorical jar, as the fleas are. And I think um, we can all see outside of it. But, you know, I wear glasses for close up. So if I haven't got the glasses on, I can't see what's straight in front of me. I can see further out, but not what's in front of me. So for me, that sort of evoked the question of how do we change the mindset of people who are in that jar and who can see the distance, but actually can't focus on on what is right in front of them that perhaps needs changing?
4: Yeah, I love that. Uh, The glasses for me is a great cut because your lens is wrong. You know, you you, you're looking at it from a short distance, and we actually need to get rid of the lens and say and look around because there are now so many examples of organisations that are doing it differently, Uh, not by by training or by education or by research. It literally is by circumstance and chance. They, 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 there's a young, uh, lovely organisation in London that, that grew from a fintech. So they, they, they didn't want to manage. They hated leading people. Uh, they're all like techie people. So they love the technology, hated people. So they didn't want any structure. They've grown organically to 1,200 staff, highly profitable, without a management structure in place, a you know, a control mechanism. You think, how do they survive? They survive brilliantly because they trust people psychologically. But the first for me, is getting people to realise there's something different out there Uh, and then allowing them to move forward to the the something different. If you force people, and that's what we're suffering with in lots of organisations, the change fatigue, where we say to them, you have to look like this. This is where we think you should be. And now now I'm going to force you into that paradigm, that next shift. You won't get it. You get resistance. You get people bedding down into the jar um, and say, no, actually, I'm quite comfortable jumping this high as a flea. Leave me alone. So you've got to get them excited. I, I use the 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 Sicily, um, and I think I used it before the phrase, you know, power, participate, ownership, and warranty. If you get people to participate, suddenly they own the change. It's not change any longer. It's excitement. It's it's growth. It's um um it's something that they thought of, and therefore well, I can't go wrong, can I? Because I've thought of it, and therefore I want to do it. So th- there's that level of excitement. But if you do it to them, if you take the jar away, if you tip them out to the jar and say, right. You know, think for yourselves, it, it won't happen. It'll be a disaster. Uh, and that's that's really, sorry, that's really 20 years of experience of doing it, by the way. Um, forcing people into it won't happen. You've got to so, get excited about the change.
2: So just going on that then, so, and I get that completely, okay. but then if you go into an orga- orga- an organisation that you take over, for instance, yep. and you've got some staff that have been there 20 years and okay. they genuinely don't want to move, they don't want to look outside that jar. They're quite happy in their little place. And, you know, it's very difficult to inspire them then to want to to jump and try things. So what would be your advice in in that sense?
4: Yeah, Yeah, um, Sometimes uh, I think you've got to say, leave them alone because um, there, there are some people that, that will literally not... They're the naysayers. They simply, regardless of what you put forward to them, they won't do it. They'll, they'll retrench. So some, and then you have to change things around them. So, so, you know, it's the little things that matter. So suddenly... And again, I'm talking of, of ordinary, um, sorry, private organisations. Or um, um, it is, we, we remove titles? Uh, um, Paul Matthews from uh, M- Monmouthshire Council, for example, mm-hmm. uh, got rid of the CEO title and and um, and was just an officer of Monmouthshire. And that little subtle change meant everybody else had to follow. So you didn't have a director of finance, director of HR. You didn't have any hierarchy any longer. They're all officers of Monmouthshire Council. And I and 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 initially you think, ah, oh, you know, really, will I work? absolutely because it's still, suddenly all the kind of naysayers are going well oh, i'm just an officer now yeah you're just an officer and, and when you pick the phone up you can't say i'm sorry you reach the finance department you've got to go and sorry you're, you're, you're i'm gonna you you've run the wrong number it's actually I, you, i'm an officer at mom's council i therefore own the call so it doesn't matter whether i'm a social worker and it's finance you then have to say oh look i'll try and sort this out for you a huge difference in terms of ownership so so what we're going to do is to get people to own the change process. So if we do change two people, they resist it and they resist it with some brilliant techniques uh, and you won't beat them. Uh, so if you do stuff to people, they'll, 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 they'll resist it and it will fail miserably. I think something like 80 percent of all, all um, change that takes place in organisations fail. So, it, it, so you've got to get people to own the change process. Uh, and by doing that, you've got to say, what does the future look like? Uh, I mean, even down to one of the kind of lovely techniques I discovered about three or four years ago is to get people to, mm-hmm. to draw the future. So what does the future look like? And, and you can't put words in it. You have to draw it. They start to really become creative and innovative uh, uh, in, in what they do and how they mm-hmm. see, see what the future looks like. But but the key thing is they own it. I don't care what the, what they draw the future. They start to own that process. Then they start to change. You know, resistance decreases. And you start to get them along, but you also got to be prepared to take criticism. And I think that's the key bit uh, for you as a leader or anybody's in leading the organization. You can't be precious about your baby. Uh, so if they say your baby's ugly, you've got to go, oh, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> the ears are a bit big and the nose is a bit crooked." But because uh, that's key to it, because you've got to be authentic, open, transparent, honest, uh, and because they're not going to like everything that you do and that you've done to them. So initially it's like a five-year-old, you know, you're going to give your keys to your house. You're going to give your credit card uh, access to, to, you know, to, to the phone and all this to, to a five-year-old because you've treated them like five-year-olds. You told them what time to come in, what time to go home, what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And you monitor them and, and assess them. And then you're actually asking them to act like an adult. They're not going to do it for the first three or four months. They'll test you. They'll, they'll act like that five-year-old. They'll try and you know, do all sorts of things, waiting for you to react. And you can't react. You've got to allow them to own it. So, well, you've done that. You own it. You now see the parent. You now see the resources. Because people want to spend. Um, and there's a lovely example that I did in South Wales in a, in a, in a, um, a manufacturing company. Uh, and, and I did exactly that. Friday, five, five o'clock on a Friday, 55 engineers, failing company. And I said to them, right, Monday morning, guys, you're going to turn around this organization. And they all looked at me, kind of, no, why would we do that? That's not our job. That's management job. They've got us into this mess. They can get us out of this mess. And I said, well, actually, they can't get us out of the mess. Uh, they have been for the last six months, and you're getting further and further. So you caused the problems in this room. You now need to sort those problems out. And Monday morning, 9 o'clock, you'll do it. And they're going, oh, I'm not sure. And, and one guy said, so we're in charge on a Monday. I went, yes, absolutely, fully in charge. He said, so I can do what I want to on a Monday. I went, yeah, absolutely, you're fully in charge. And I gave them letters from the owner. Uh, Dave Priest, who said, it literally said, "Look, you run the company from, uh, you legally run the company on, on Monday nine o'clock," and, and that's what. It, and the one guy, <laughs> excuse, I'll use his nickname Ginger, stood up and said, um, uh, "If I'm in charge on Monday morning, he said, so I can do anything I want to." I went, "Absolutely," he said, "Yeah, but remember now, company's failing, you're losing uh, uh, profits, you're losing your customers, you you really are in, in a desperate situation." And he went, "Well." Um, Well, Monday morning, and he said, if I'm in charge, I'm going to give myself a 20% pay rise. (laughs) Pardon? Yeah, so if I'm in charge, I can take a 20% pay rise. He said, is that okay? I went, absolutely. Yeah, off you go, man. And I'm not kidding. By the end of that hour discussion, it had gone from a 25% pay rise to an 80% pay rise, because they're all like kids. They're all like five-year-olds. Well, if he's on 20%, he's really lazy. I want 30%. I go, yeah, fine, absolutely, you know, you're you in charge. And, of course, it was only after an hour or two hours of discussion. I then handed them the financial sheets and said, well, there's your budget. You know, and suddenly the kind of children grew up because they looked at the budget. And said, well, hang on, we're £250,000 in deficit. Yeah. So where are you going to find, you know, 50% uh, pay rise? Oh, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Um, right. Monday morning, 9 o'clock, honestly, it turned the company around. It's still going now. That's 15 years later. The difference is they own it and, and, and you treat them like adults. Um, and unfortunately, we don't. We send emails out, for example, that, that, that will say, you can't use a photocopy on a Monday and you're going to record it. Uh, and by the way, you can only have two pens a week. Um, we, we do all of that stuff, which, which undermines us treating them like adults rather than saying to them, guys, we're have pens, <laughs> you know, and photocopy And Honestly, now it, it, it's through the roof. We, we, we've now suddenly blown our budget. What are we going to do about it? Give them the solutions all the time. They own the problem. I guarantee they'll solve it faster than anybody else.
1: That really is changing the lens, isn't it, I think. Gavin, c- come in to you, um, how does this translate for you and your organisation?
3: I suppose it's not alien. What Paul's talking about in terms of that kind of creative thinking and getting staff to uh, to make those decisions themselves, that's something within within my organisation that we already kind of look at. But like Paul said, with when, with any sort of change, there's always that. The issue is if if you're not bringing the staff along with them and uh, that ownership, then they're quite comfort in the st- comfortable in the status quo. And I think going back to the jar, it's that comfort in the status quo. Um, sometimes that fear of making mistakes, so not wanting to jump out the jar. And sometimes that jar can represent um, external pressures as well. So I, I think it, as as nice as it is for all the staff to be able to move along with the change, quite often it's the leader that needs to set the pace. And if if they if they're fearful of making those mistakes, how how do we kind of change the the mindset of a leader?
4: Yeah, uh, that you're spot on. I think the leader. The leader is absolutely critical in all of this, and this is why you know most of my energy is, is focused on on the leadership of an organization. Uh, the front line, all you've got to do is kind of release them, you know, kind of release the the, the feral animals in, in the, into the into the wild because um, we've contained them. But but actually changing what a leader thinks leadership is about is is critical. Because we we assume leadership is what we experienced 10, 15, 20 years ago. We think of the good examples, we think of the bad examples. But that's not leadership. Leadership in a modern century is actually saying I don't know what what, what tomorrow looks like. Uh, all I know is we've got to be there. We've got to be in this direction. And it's also the somebody who kind of coordinates, somebody who, 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 who helps I think what somebody in one organization call them um, um, CHR, chief hurdle removers, um, they literally are there to remove the barriers and the, and, the, and, the, and the things that get in the way of people actually doing a good job rather than putting barriers into the play. Um, Because again, I, I think in education in particular, we, we we want to predict the outcomes of a programme or a course for students we've never met a, a year in advance. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a silly concept, whereas you know, most teachers and lecturers and professors will know you don't know the student until you meet them on that day, and then you you alter things in order to to, to do a good job. But for me, critically, leadership, um, and it sounds an awful word, but it's manipulation. But for work, you know, it's, it's actually getting people, understanding where they're from, do they are they a morning person or the afternoon person, uh in order to get the best out of them. Because I'm a morning person, you know. I, I do my work from five from five in the morning till about twelve. In the afternoon I'm admin and I'm awful, you know, I'm miserable. And the evenings I'm even worse. Um so so you know, don't give me creative stuff in the afternoon, you're gonna fail miserably, and you're gonna be in a world of pain as a leader, and I'm gonna be miserable. So it's understanding that we're full of human beings of different different concepts because we're all different fleas different levels uh, different directions w- what we've got to try and do as a leader is try and coordinate them and say look come on this is the direction um, and sometimes it's asking what is the direction it is literally going back to and going is this still the right direction folks is this really where we want to be you know and I did work at the office of ONS office, of National Statistics, uh, last year during lockdown. Really difficult piece of work because it was all online, but it was all about what the direction looks like. What do we want to achieve? And I said, if we do go down the traditional route of writing it down, our objectives, our plan, you know, doing a financial plan our operational plan, is you'll well, fail miserably. It won't happen. I said, let's be different, be creative, and let's write, let's draw a drawing, um, and 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 we spent. Um, probably six weeks online drawing, which is really tough, but we had an artist that was drawing the drawing that we were talking about, and it all values and behaviors driven. The difference it made to the o s was phenomenal um, because it was just, they all bought into it. They could all see a little bit of themselves in the drawing of this, this garden that they were trying to get to. Um, so it moved from a machine-like uh, drawing to a garden-like. That's all about, for me, leadership. It's then how do you lead the garden in which you've got loads of gardeners who are the experts. And and as and soon as you step into leadership, by the way, you lose your expertise. You might have been a teacher, a really good teacher, for the last 20 years. You step into leadership, six months down the line, you've forgotten what teaching looks like. You think you know it, but you don't. And every class is different. It's the same as in local authority. Sorry, I, I think that's where uh, a lot of fear
3: comes as a leader. It, quite often, there's it, that expectation that you've got to know everything. But no. in actual fact, no, all you've got to know is your people. Absolutely um, and it, it's being able to stand up and say, look, I'm not quite sure about this, but I've got the people who know exactly how to do that. And like you say, it's bringing them along and, and them taking ownership for the direction of the, the organisation.
4: Yeah, mass, and that's a massive change. I think we talk about it, but we don't, like, we don't do it that often in organisations because people will look to us and go, well, you're the leader. You've got a team of 20 people. What, what are you doing? And, and and you can't say, well, I don't know, because they'll instantly look at you thinking, they're oh, not really good, are are You know, you don't know what your team are doing.
3: Well, no, I don't. Do you think that's just based on the culture of our society? You know, we look at our politicians and our leaders at that level and they're expected to know the ins and outs of everything, even though they've got massive teams of civil servants and and staff below them. Um, But there's that expectation then as soon as they they don't know what they're talking about and they make a mistake. um, As a society media, we we call for their heads straight away. So making mistakes is a frightening concept in, in our society. Yeah
4: which is why then you don't get straight answers. You don't get the real honesty, authentic leadership. Because, you know, you, you look at Boris Johnson at the moment, he's being vilified in one. And, and, you know, whether you like him or not, I kind of feel sorry for him because he, he's not going to be in the detail. He wasn't that type of individual to begin with. And yet now they're ridiculing him as part of that. Well, you should be in a detail. and you should. Be. No, he shouldn't. There's he's, he's probably about 20,000, 30,000 Silzuans and they need him making decisions and doing stuff. So you're quite right. Again, it's that notion of... We need to change the concept of leadership. Leadership is not the person at the top of a hierarchy; it's a person at the bottom of a hierarchy. It, it should be an inverted. We 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 draw organisations like that where it actually should be that, and the leaders at the bottom of that organisation helping and facilitate. And I keep saying to you know when you got that inverted triangle, I say who's at the top of that triangle? And most people say, well, frontline staff, you know, frontline teachers, frontline nurses. front I said, no, actually, it's the customer or the client. Or the student. That's the difference. Everything should be focused towards delivery. And what is it you're doing? Is it adding value or is it actually adding cost? If it's adding cost, get rid of it. Stop doing it. It's a waste of time. And if your ego is is such that you want to keep adding cost and you're not not the leader of the of certainly the future, and that's that's the concept, and that's why I keep saying to people, get rid of the titles in organizations, because that's just building st- you know um, uh, status. Uh, it's also uh, saying I'm not in charge, Paul's in charge, because he's got a director title and, uh, uh, underneath it, you know, his name. It's such nonsense. It's make believe stuff. That uh, uh, that you know, we want leadership that actually build relationships, that can create trust. Uh, that can uh, really support psychological safety so when somebody is burnt out when somebody is uh, making mistakes it, they don't get blamed or, or, or shot down they literally get support saying right come on what do we do to, to re-energize what do we do to not allow that to happen again that's what real leadership is about it's not about you know, telling people off and disciplinaries and grievances and all this uh, stuff um, it, it's, a, it's, um, it, it's a sad state of affairs we, we have to change I mean I've been talking about for 20 years and it still hasn't changed um, and you know, it was a, it was a. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but it was a discussion with um, a senior partner at uh, BCG in London. And he actually said, "Paul, I love your work. I think what you're doing is fantastic." He said, "Your thoughts, the, the papers, the books you've written is phenomenal." But he said, "It won't work." <laughs> he said, "You're completely wasting your time." He said, "Because the construct is we believe somebody should be in charge." And he said, "Until we get rid of that," he said, and "That's taught right throughout our schools of, of and forgive me, but but are designed for conformity." You, you need to conform, you know, in our, our organisations. You, you know, if you're working for a local authority, even a, one as good as Torbay, you, you have to con- you have to conform. You have to follow guidelines, rules, boundaries, procedures. That, in its sense, is not human. That, in its sense, is creating this animal that we 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 don't step outside of the boundaries of one to six. But seven is innovative. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm just told to do one to six. I have to have permission to, to do seven. It's such nonsense. It, it, it believe honestly and, and oh, you know they, people say well then we'll make lots of mistakes yeah of course we will but we'll have some fun doing it and we'll innovate and we'll create a much better society as a result of it as well
1: As always, Paul, a real, a real inspiration to all of us right the way across Wales in terms of us as leaders. You know, we we don't know it all. We need to look through different lenses and we need to encourage those around us to look at different lenses. It's absolutely about trust. It's absolutely about relationships um, day in, day out and us setting those values. A huge thank you to Tanya and Gavin for joining us today. Um, and I know, Paul, that uh, leaders across Wales are going to be really inspired listening to this podcast. fawr iawn and everybody.
0: Thank you. Thank bawr. you. Thank <laughs> you. Apple, neu Google, a byth penod. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Academy podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode.